Warning, this episode includes topics of murder, possession, mental illness, and extreme violence that some listeners might be uncomfortable with. Listener discretion is advised, especially for young children. Arnie Cheyenne Johnson was born in America sometime in 1962, and he was a good person. He was loyal to his fiance, nice to everyone around him, and had no criminal record. But after being possessed with something, possibly one of the demons that were inside David, he killed a man. He has repeatedly expressed his disdain that the Glassville family name has been associated with demon possession and claims that anything portrayed in the film besides the murder didn't actually happen. Some of the most famous horror movies in cinematic history are actually based on true stories. I, Yeshu Pasani, and me, Arvin Ragunathan, will shed light on the true stories that inspire these terrifying movies. And we'll be investigating the question on why humans are so interested in the paranormal, and whether their imaginations are able to conjure what's not even there. There's a lot to find this season. After all, there's always more to uncover behind the stories. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Story. I'm one of your hosts, Yeshu Pasani, who is a paranormal believer. And I'm Arvind Ragunathan, your other host who's a skeptic ready to prove that ghosts aren't real. I am very excited for today's episode. But if this is the first episode of ours that you're hearing, hi, this is the podcast where we tell the true stories that inspire famous horror movies. Now, the reason I'm so excited is because of this episode, we're talking about world-famous demonologists Ed and Lorraine Warren. That's right. This is another Conjuring episode. We have episodes on the Conjuring 1 and 2 from our first season that we really recommend you go listen to since this is the third installment of our mini Conjuring series. Now, if you're not familiar with the Conjuring series, I'm convinced that you've been living under a rock. This phenomenal horror movie franchise has eight movies, with the latest release and the movie we're uncovering today being The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. It once again has Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson playing the famous Warren couple with other actors like Rory O'Connor and more. This movie covers the famous murder trial of Arne Johnson, who pled that he killed someone on account of demon possession. This movie was released on June 4th, 2021, which makes it the first episode we're doing that covers a very, very early released movie. And it made $116.6 million. And before we get to this episode, make sure you leave us a message on our anchor.fm website with anything you think we should know. And follow us on whatever service you're using right now to listen to our podcast. This season, we are donating all of our funds that we make from our episodes to the AAPI. Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders to fight against anti-Asian hate crimes because no one deserves to live in fear just based on their race. And now, let's get to the episode. Hey everyone, this is Yashvi, and I'm recording this two days before we are set to release this episode, but this message can't wait. We are donating our funds this season to the AAPI and will continue to do so, but in recent light of what has happened with the Bill Cosby case, we will also be donating to RAIN, Rape, Abuse, Incest National Network, to help survivors across the country. To anyone who has experienced anything like this, we hear you. We are with you. We want you to know that you have the power to tell your story. Whether you want to or not is besides the case. Thank you. And now, let's really get on with the episode. 
On February 16, 1981, 19-year-old Arnie Cheyenne Johnson stabbed landlord Alan Bono more than 20 times with a pocket knife. He claimed he did it under the influence of the devil. But the story of demonic possession in Arnie's life starts long before he was quote-unquote possessed to kill a man. In May of 1980, in Brookfield, Connecticut, Arnie moved into a rented house with his fiance Debbie Glatzel, who I believe was 26 at the time, and her 11-year-old brother, David. Paranormal activities started happening right after they were moving in. David claimed that there was an old man in the house who was pushing him and scaring him. Initially, Arnie and Debbie thought that the boy was lying as a way to get out of chores, but David was adamant that the old man was evil and would hurt the family if they moved in the house. David continued to have visions of this old man, but they started to escalate. The man would appear as a demonic beast who muttered Latin and threatened to steal his soul. David's mother, Judy Glatzel, told People magazine that her son saw, quote, a man with big black eyes, a thin face with animal features and jagged teeth, pointed ears, horns, and hooves, end quote. The family alleged that they heard noises coming from the attic, but no one other than David ever saw the old man. David started having nightmares, and he soon began to exhibit strange behavior. He also would have scratches and bruises on his skin with no explanation as to how they got there. The family called a Catholic priest who came and attempted to bless the house. The family was terrified of the house they had rented and no longer wanted to stay there. As David's visions worsened, the family continued to seek help. Twelve days after the original start of the paranormal activities, world-famous demonologist Ed and Lorraine Warren came to help. Ed was a demonologist who assisted on exorcisms, and, Lane, and Lorraine a clairvoyant, which means that she is someone who can sense things that most of us can't, almost like a psychic, but a little bit different. When Lorraine came to see David, she allegedly saw black mist materialize next to David, a sign of a demonic presence. Debbie and her mother told the Warrens that they had seen David beaten and choked by invisible hands, and that red marks appeared on his neck afterwards. David had started to growl and hiss, and even recite passages from the Bible. The family even told the Warrens how one of them would stay awake with David at night as he convulsed and spasmed. The Warrens and a priest from the Catholic Church performed the four minor rites of exorcism to get rid of the 42 demons allegedly inside David. Now, there's a difference between major exorcisms and minor exorcisms. Major exorcisms are the big long ones that we see be performed on people who are for sure being possessed by a demon. Minor exorcisms are done to expel evil spirits from the body. While David did have demons inside of him, you have to remember that he was only 11 years old, so it would be incredibly dangerous to perform a major exorcism on him. Now, there are four key signs that, some, that someone shows when they are being possessed. One is aversion to the sacred, when somebody cannot look at holy images. Two is knowledge of hidden things, when a person can tell you things about yourself or something that could have happened in the future. Three is possessing a type of inordinate superhuman strength. And finally, the fourth sign is epileptic-like seizures. During these exorcisms, Lorraine claimed that David levitated, ceased breathing for a, for a minute, and was even able to predict something that would happen in the future. Being able to have psychic-like abilities or precognition is a sign of supernatural abilities, as I've said before. But what did David see? He saw the manslaughter that Arnie would commit later. It is said that during these exorcisms, Arnie tried to get one of the demons within David to possess him instead and to leave David alone. We don't know if this is true or not, but after Arnie egged on the demon to possess him, he was attacked by the demon, which took control of his car and ran it into a tree. All of these exorcisms were happening at Debbie's mother's house, and when Arnie returned to the haunted rental house he was going to rent, he got completely possessed by the demon. David's condition continued to get worse, and Debbie and Arnie had to find a place to actually live. 
Debbie was hired by 40-year-old Alan Bono, a new resident in the Brookfield area, and her job was to be a dog groomer. Arnie soon started showing the same signs that David did, which made Debbie concerned. According to Debbie, Arnie would fall into trance-like states where he would growl and hallucinate, but then wake up and have no memory of it. Now we are going to move on to the case of Arnie Johnson. Arnie Cheyenne Johnson was born in America sometime in 1962, and he was a good person. He was loyal to his fiance, nice to everyone around him, and had no criminal record. But after being possessed with something, possibly one of the demons that were inside David, he killed a man. On February 16, 1981, Arnie Johnson called in sick to his job at Wright Tree Service and went to join Debbie at the kennel where she worked, along with his sister Wanda and Debbie's nine-year-old cousin Mary. Alan Bono was the couple's landlord and Debbie's boss, and he brought the group to lunch where he proceeded to get drunk. Debbie took the girls to get pizza, but made sure to be back soon, probably predicting that there would be trouble. When they returned, Bono was heavily intoxicated and started to get irritated. Debbie urged everyone to leave the room, but Bono grabbed onto Mary and refused to release her. Arnie demanded that Bono let her go. Mary somehow slipped away and ran to the car as Debbie tried to defuse the situation between Arnie and Bono. Wanda tried to pull Arnie away, who was growling like a dog and twitching. Arnie then drew a 5-inch or 13-centimeter long pocket knife and stabbed Bono more than 20 times. This happened at around 6.30 p.m. Bono died several hours later. According to Arnie's lawyer, Bono had large wounds and one that stretched from his stomach to the base of his heart. Arnie left the scene of the killing and was found two miles away and was held at the Bridgeport Correctional Center on bail of $125,000. This was the first murder in 193 years in Brookfield. The day after the killing of Bono, Lorraine informed the Brookfield police that Arnie was possessed by a demon when the crime was committed. This caused the media to become intrigued by the demon murder case happening in the small town. Marta Manella, Arnie's defense attorney, cited two British court cases that have shown defense based on the possession of demons. He said, quote, the courts have dealt with the existence of God. Now they're going to have to deal with the existence of the devil, end quote. However, Judge Robert Callahan refused the appeal, saying that such assertions couldn't be scientifically proven. Debbie had even stood trial for Arnie, claiming that she had seen that he was possessed and how his story was similar to David's. She stood by him at every turn. Manella argued self-defense instead after the possession appeal was overturned. The jury found Arnie guilty of first-degree manslaughter on November 24, 1981, and was sentenced to 10 to 20 years for prison, for which he only served five for good behavior. The case of Arnie Johnson's was the first time in American history that someone blamed demonic possession as the cause for murder. Essentially, it was the first time anyone has put the devil on trial. I want to emphasize what Arnie was going through before, during, and after the trial. I believe that this man was possessed and he showed all the symptoms of demonic possession. He had violent convulsions, was unable to look at anything holy, and could tell you things that would happen in the future, much like David was able to do. And all of these things didn't stop when he went to prison or even when he got out. My reasoning being that even if he got an exorcism, it wasn't properly done or he didn't get enough exorcisms. The release of The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, has made the question arise of what happened to Debbie and Arnie after. While Arnie was in prison, Debbie stood by him at every corner, every turn, and every day. In January 1984, while Arnie was behind bars, him and Debbie got married. When he got released early, the two went off to build a good life for themselves. They left the media and all of those judgmental stairs and had two children. They were married until Debbie passed away from cancer. The director, Michael Chavez, of The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, said, quote, This is the story of Arnie and also his girlfriend who became his wife, Debbie Glatzel. 
She was there during the exorcism. She was there at the murder and she testified for him and she believed. She stood by that and they've been married the rest of her life, end quote. Arnie Johnson is still alive. Something interesting that I've always loved about the Conjuring movies are how, while they do sometimes make things up about to make the story more interesting, they always include the truth and most of it is truthful. They do this by having pictures of the actual family or real quotes, but in The Devil Made Me Do It, they have actual snippets of David Glassell's exorcism in the end credits. It is some of the most disturbing sounds I've heard, but I just wanted to let you guys know that it is out there. And now, before we go to Arvin's part, let's take a quick break and hear about our sponsor. Alright, so now it's time for my turn to show you why there was nothing paranormal happening with the devil made me do it and R.N.A. Johnson and all of that. So my theory for the devil made me do it is that Ed and Lorraine Warren lied and the family went along with their scheme. As well, R.N.A. might have had some medical conditions that we'll get to at the end. To start off, in 2007, David David Glatzel and his brother Carl sued Lorraine Warren and Devil in Connecticut author Gerald Brittle over the claims that David had been possessed. In an article by Samuel Spencer on June 4th of this year, he writes, quote, in an interview with the mass media distribution Newswire, Carl said, my brother was never possessed. He, along with my family, was manipulated and exploited, something the Warrens were very good at. And along with their author, Gerald Brittle, they concocted a phony story about demons in an attempt to get rich and famous at our expense, and we have the evidence to prove it. The Warrens told my family numerous times that we would be millionaires, and the book would help get my sister's boyfriend Arne out of jail. I knew it from day one that it was a lie, but as a child, there was nothing I could really do about it. Per a recent ABC News article, this lawsuit led to the book being taken out of print. Later, the Warrens actually confirmed that the family was paid $2,000 from the book. A first post article contains more information about the interview with Carl. Carl Glatzel said that the Warrens exploited his family for monetary gain. He told the Associated Press in 2007 that his brother had suffered from mental illness as a child, but is now recovered. He has repeatedly expressed his disdain that the Glatzel family name has been associated with demon possession and claims that anything portrayed in the film, besides the murder, didn't actually happen. Furthermore, we all know from our previous Conjuring episodes, and if you haven't watched them, go watch them now, that Ed and Lorraine Warren like to stretch the truth a lot. And by stretch the truth, I mean do anything it takes to make a non-paranormal case into something fit of a horror movie, which is exactly what they did here. We also know from our previous episodes that the Warrens have a lot of connections to those who either wholeheartedly believe them or those who are in on the scheme with them. Many of those connections are with priests and others who can perform exorcisms. I would like to point out David Glatzel's father reports that they got him uh, that they got David exercised before, but nothing happened. Meaning, we can make the conclusion that David was not possessed. Therefore, how could the Warrens' exorcism find David to be possessed? After all, if you're looking for signs of the paranormal, as well as have a monetary compensation for seeing those things, you're definitely going to see them everywhere. Again, going back to the theme of this season. There are a lot of medical conditions that could have affected Arne Johnson now. 
Many of them are mental illnesses, very similar to the ones we've seen with Annalise Mitchell from our second episode. Temporal lobe disorders could describe most, if not all, of RNA's quote-unquote symptoms. And this brain trauma could very easily have been caused by the crashing of his car. Anger issues could have caused him to kill his landlord, or simply out of spite, you see the things all the time on like 2020 and different things like that. And now it was symptoms in jail itself. I think Arne could have remembered David and his symptoms here and began to pretend, most likely again because of that brain trauma he had, that he had those same symptoms as David, trying to get exempted from murder because of possession, also showing why his lawyer decided to go and say that, oh, he didn't kill him of his own accord, he was, you know, he was possessed by a demon. Overall, I believe the Warrens were back on their old tricks, and this time working with a family that could be easily manipulated and kids who have mental illnesses. And now... The moment you guys have all been waiting for. The part where I successfully disprove everything Arvin has just said. I, or the I'm, part where Yeshvi makes a lot of claims that don't really mean anything. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna pre-apologize to everybody who's listening if this gets really heated. <laughs> Demonic possession cases are kind of like in a very weird way, my sweet spot. Like I love, I love to argue demonic possession cases. It's like it's what brings me, you know, the greatest joys in life. Um, and this just happens to be one of those cases. Also, it involves two people I love. For Arvin to go after Ed and Lorraine Warren just feels so wrong in my heart. Okay, Yeshi. Yeshi, let's take a step back here. Let's first talk about Conjuring Number One with the Farrens. So, in Conjuring number one, <laughs> we have successfully shown the Warrens lied multiple times. Now to Conjuring number two. Um, well, no, Conjuring. Ah, no, 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 no. Conjuring one. Literally, one of the daughters of the parent family writes an entire trilogy about how she and her family were possessed. That is, this girl wrote a trilogy. The other two yes. siblings said it was completely fake, though. They were like, they were like a family of five. Exactly. <laughs> two of like, the five not, outweighs like, no, one like, of were the five, five. They were five children, so they were two parents. So seven, I think it was seven. I'm sorry if I'm inaccurate, but <laughs> she wrote a trilogy. That can't be wrong. Okay, Conjuring Two, Einfield Poltergeist. They had so many people witness this poltergeist. So many people. Okay, so I will admit that on Poltergeist, my evidence was very weak. Um, that, doesn't mean <laughs> that, paranormal, that doesn't mean the paranormal was real. It just means that I couldn't find good enough evidence to disprove it. Because Which means I'm it was real. Pro-researcher. No, yes, we do think I'm pro-researcher. Okay, so and now, I, I'll, and I'll give here. you the fact that the Poltergeist, there's something else that I didn't get there. But that doesn't mean the Warrens aren't liars. No, but I don't, they... they... When you are as re- re- reputable as the Warrens, you are going to make money. That's that's regardless of the fact. These people make money because the media loves them. And the world loves them. Because who has ever heard of demonologists that do almost what are like house calls, you know? So they're making money no matter what. I'm thinking when this whole book gets released and all these shows get released, it's wrong if the Glatzel slash Johnson family doesn't get the money from it because this is their story that they're sharing. They have to get money from it. And then these Warrens get money regardless of whether they want it or not because they're so publicized all the time. Right. But I mean, the reason that I'm saying the Glatzels are getting this money is, well, first off, you know, the Warrens would promise like, oh, we'll make you into millionaires. You know, that's not exactly someone that something that you tell to someone who's had a traumatic event and you're like trying to get their story out there. 
that's something you tell to someone when you're trying to, you know, when you have a scheme to make them money. So I'm not saying that the Warrens did this to make themselves money. Of course, you know, uh, all of their cases, you know, they had some incentive in them, which, whether it was to increase their fame, you know, to continue on with what they're doing. Because obviously, if the Warrens just all of a sudden stopped finding paranormal cases, people are going to be like, are those guys, you know, still even a thing? Do they, exactly. do they still find these stuff? So they have to keep coming up with stuff like this. So they go to this family. They see these guys who can be easily manipulated. They see some children who could have mental illnesses. And they're like, perfect for a scheme. Well, the thing is, if you listen, as I said earlier, very disturbing sounds. But if you listen to the exorcism of David Gladsell, this boy is 11 years old. There is no way. He's prepubescent. His voice is still high-pitched. There's no way he could make such, like, guttural, gravelly sounds and just, like, be able to speak Latin. That's not a thing. He's 11. He's, he's never taken a Latin class in his life. He hasn't even gone to electives yet. He's still in elementary school. And with this whole idea, right, like, if he, if David has a history of mental illness or, you know, a little bit of instability there, I'm not accusing anybody of anything. But if he already has that, it's easy for Carl himself to manipulate him into thinking something. I think, okay. I think, yeah, yeah. Okay, so first I'm going to talk about, so I personally have not listened to The Exorcism, so I can't exactly talk about the things that happened there. But again, I want to equate this to Annalise because it seems like there's a lot of connections between like David and Annalise Mitchell. True, true. So uh, I believe, I'm pretty sure my theory um, about the low voice and the, some of the things that happened during Annalise's exorcisms were that um, a couple of them were faked that they like weren't actually Annalise doing this because yesterday like you said you only heard the sounds did you there was no video or anything like that there was no video but it is 1981 so I'm assuming all video was on VHS tape and VHS tape um you know has been lost to the world right exactly it's not the most accurate so audio can be easily faked you know who knows if that's even David over there speaking Latin and low voices and all but also I think I had some some uh, random theory that was like I believe that I think it was frontal lobe, but some trauma to the frontal lobe can like change something with your vocal cords that can make you like speak weird. <laughs> you're really, you're really kind of grasping at straws. I don't, here, I, no, I just don't remember what I said. If I found it, then I'm sure I could say right, say it. right. Well, I just, I just think right after Arnie gets out of jail, like kind of around that whole time too, even when he is in prison, um, David goes off the grid. Like, we don't hear about David until 2007 when this thing comes out, which is enough time for this for this person who's already been through so much to get fed even more manipulation to totally mess him up. You know, I just I just think with with David, it's first of all, it's a sad story that this kid is 11 and he's going through things like spasm in the night and whatever. But then also this constant manipulation. But the main focus of this of this um, episode, aside from David, was also Arnie Johnson, which I want to make sure we get to. Right. We don't constantly talk about David all the time. Arnie Johnson, a man who had a great record, who killed um, another man, Arvind. Right. So, I mean, that's what I was talking about. You know, you'll see things on like, tw- I offered 2020 again as an example, because I mean, things like Dateline 2020, all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. where it's, you know, like, in the heat of the moment when things like, you know, heated arguments like this are happening, things happen. Especially, he just grabbed the, the landlord, Alan Bono, just grabbed the little cousin. You know, uh, who knows what he was going to do to her if, if she didn't, you know, get out and go along with Debbie. 
What if the what if the landlord right. did something to Debbie? So there's so many things that could have been going through Arne's mind. Maybe he didn't mean to kill him, you know, just shove him off, you know, stab him with a knife just once and leave him off. But you know, in the heat of the anger and everything like that, he well, you know, he went a bit too far and he killed him. But before that, he has the same symptoms that David has, the same convulsions, the same weird, like, knowledge thing, you know? Like, he has all these similar things. And, like, granted, this kid is a good kid. He's a good 19-year-old kid. And then he stabs this dude. And, you know, I just and, – and it's not like as, – as Arvin likes to, likes to point out sometimes in our episodes, when the media goes away, the haunting stops. The hauntings didn't stop in this case. Arnie Johnson is plagued with these demons – throughout his trial, in prison, and even, like, out of prison. I don't really know when these when these things ever stop. Right, so, um, okay, well, going back to the first part about Arne's symptoms being the same as uh, David's, the only one who, like, reported Arne's symptoms at home was Debbie. Um, I definitely think Debbie was confident in what she saw, but she had just come back from David's exorcism, where she saw Arne egging on a ghost to possess him, she was probably worried very much so about a ghost possessing him. Arne crashed, you know, the car crashed in the tree and mm-hmm. also maybe she's already worrying at this point. Oh my God, is he possessed? Am I possessed? Or one of us possesses? Something going to happen related with ghosts? You know, our whole theme of the season, constantly thinking about ghosts is going to make you see ghosts. Right. You think but about the, the paranormal, you'll the, see it. But the good, the fact that she was able to assess that it was the whole possession thing, I think also is what kind of helped this court thing. Because this is a little bit off topic, but I can't help but wonder whether this guy, you know, I see good behavior because Grant, like at the end of the day, he's a good kid. But also, is there some part of just this whole system that believes that this guy was slightly possessed that did let him get off early? 10 to 20 years is no joke. And this guy serves five. I mean, yeah, there could be because I mean, if all of, you know, obviously you made, a, I guess, a good case at his trial. Um, it's not, you know, the judge found it's not enough evidence. You can't just go around saying you're possessed and killing people. But like, I'm sure people will be wary. I'm sure like, because like I said, you know, in the jail cell, he did have some of these, you know, things like this. So prisoners could have been wary. Wardens could have been wary. Um, right. As for like getting off on good behavior, like, like you're saying, I mean, he's a good kid. I don't know if good behavior can really cut off like five to 15 years off a sentence. Mm-hmm. Maybe there were some other factors like you're saying, but we can't, you know, fully confirm anything like that. True. We got to get a time machine. Mm-hmm. The only thing that could work. Would I? Um, so this is, you know, the latest Conjuring movie. It is. It has come out very, very recently. We're covering this very recent, um, and it is. It's it's very different compared to the other Conjuring movies. I know it was directed by somebody other than the person who directed the other ones, and you can slightly tell it's very differently done. But I I do like how they showed um, the Warrens in relation to the the actual court trial and how they talked and whatever but there's not much on the warrens during the court case like i know they were there um but i think they do slightly maybe over exaggerate it in the movie a little bit to show because um especially when you know you go back to the quote of you know the god's been you know in the courtroom so it's time we talk about the devil that was not said by ed warren rather um uh, arnie's defense attorney but I think what's what's very interesting about the movie and how they do it in re- and how it was compa- how it compares to real life is how they show what Arnie goes through because I feel like I don't know they did <laughs> they showed demonic possession very well and I think this kid I 
I just, it's hard to wrap your head around the fact that this really good 19 year old kid who's finally getting his life together with the woman of his dreams kills a guy. That's just not what you do. And I guess, Arvind, if we are going back to our, our theme of the season, it's can humans make something up that's not even there? The whole, I, the whole thing with this starts with David, right? So they would have to make up David's possession and then that would make up Arnie's possession. Or if David was actually possessed, then Arnie has created this whole idea that he too is possessed when he does have the same convulsions and, you know, can't look at the cross and whatever. And so... As we established in our last episode, human minds are powerful, but I think when you are physically going through something, that's got to be more than the human mind. So going back to what you said a little bit earlier, um, I think Arne wholeheartedly believed that Daniel was possessed. So, you know, therefore... <laughs> you messed up you messed up the name last episode too is this a recurring is this gonna be a recurring thing yes okay great we'll keep it we'll keep track of it somebody keep a little like a tally chart all right um david yes i so i believe aren't i wholeheartedly believe that david was possessed um which means you know at that point once he started you know feeling these things because like you're saying the human mind can make up so much he started, right. you know, thinking he was also possessed. And as I talked about, like, after that car crash, he probably had some brain trauma somewhere. So, mm. the, that you know, like, temporal, temporal or frontal lobe trauma combined right. with his belief that he is possessed can definitely cause some both physical and mental, mental ailments. There is um, something very interesting, kind of, that comes up in cases that involve the Warrens. This is a little bit playing into Arvin's notion. I'm not playing too much into it. Also, it could be into other notions as well. Um, but a lot of their cases, in a way, don't have a lot of detail. But it's not only from their own, like, websites or anything. Just, like, on the internet, you know? Like, um, the, and I think it's because what has made people aware of the Warrens also has been this Conjuring franchise. So in a way, I think the first Conjuring movie came out in 2013. So that's been, what, eight years or something? Like, the internet works fast, but at the same time, to uncover things that have happened that long ago, it does take time. But I'm just thinking of this, like, in comparison to Emily and Annalise, that episode. Once again, go listen to it. Um, that We had a ton of detail in that episode. Like, we got the names of all the demons that, pos- that were possessing her. You know, there were a lot of images of what was happening to her. It was a very different case. But I think with our Conjuring episodes, we don't see that much information. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of, like, missing information or skewed information, I guess you could say. Because right. Because almost all of the reports come from... I think the Warren play it cleverly because all of the reports of what happened come from either the Warren's mouth themselves or mm-hmm. one of the children of the family. Always. Right. And it'll always be that one child who wasn't affected the most, but was closest to the one who was affected the most. Interesting. Um, yeah. Because, you know, like with the Farrens, we had um I forgot the daughter's name and but I know she was super close to like all of these things that were happening, but she's not the one who was targeted. The parents were. Right. Um, and then with Poltergeist, I really don't remember much of the family at all. But... <laughs> I was so mean! 
I'm I'm sorry <laughs> if uh if there's some chance that the that the Einfield Poltergeist family is watching us. I'm very sorry. I've forgotten about you. The only reason I remember the Farrens at all is because they were our first episode. So sorry to them as well, I guess. <laughs> so you, the Farrens hold a very um special special place in our hearts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you right, right. There's there's this kind of um lack of information, which I why which is why. I think I'm also I'm always very impressed with the Conjuring series for doing so well with this lack of information, but I don't think it's because the Warrens are, as Arvin would like to say, frauds or liars or something. I, I wouldn't go so far to say frauds. I would just say okay. they they stretch the truth a lot in the fact okay. that they lie. Oh, so liars, liars. <laughs> We're sticking with liars. Then. Okay. Um, to to um Tony Sprea, who I know is like the son-in-law of the Warrens. If you're listening. I'm just saying. Um, anyways, um, I don't think it's because they are liars. I think it is because when you are in this business, right? This is like a dark business to be in. Pol- like demon hunting is not fun times. I think there's so. I think there's a lot of um, negative energy and a lot of darkness that surrounds everything. And so I think they just don't want all this information out of the public because there might be some like really dark stuff in there. Like, wow. Like, you know, in their, in their occult museum, they got some really, really crazy things in there, which I, I'm waiting for the day that me and Arvin go. Be yeah, very that they will never occur. We'll get to see the Annabelle doll, go listen to our Annabelle episode. That is, that is a fun episode. We're going to um, get cursed if we see the Annabelle doll. Well, we just, like, won't, like, like engage in activity with it. We'll We're going to get cursed anyway. <laughs> we'll be careful. But... Um, I think they do that. So, I, you know, there is there is so much more to this Arnie Johnson case as well as David Glatzel that I don't think we know. But I, I just feel like there's more. Yeah, definitely. I get the same feeling that I'm... Okay, so maybe not... It's like, maybe it's not like the Warren hiding... The Warren's hiding information. You know, like you said, it could be because the information is so dark. They just don't mm-hmm. want the public knowing it. Or, you know, it could be something that, you know, really complicated or doesn't make sense that they don't, like, just generally, they just don't want it getting out there. Maybe it's yeah. something to respect the family's privacy. You know, right. it could be why, right. it could be why uh, David went off the uh, off the grid. Right. Because at the end of the day, you know, this case is history. First time in America, somebody has put the demon on trial, put the devil on trial. Um, so this is actually more of our, one of our historical episodes. Look at us crossing genres. Exactly. We're, we're truly amazing. Amazing. In the wise words of Ed Warren, quote, diabolical forces are formidable. These forces are eternal and they exist today. The fairy tale is true. The devil exists. God exists. And for us as people, our very destiny hinges upon which one we elect to follow, end quote. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we would love to see you again for the rest of the episodes in season two. Leave us a message on our anchor.fm website with any questions, comments, or just anything you would like us to know. And follow us at Behind the Story with a period between the I and N on Instagram and at Behind the Story with an underscore between the I and N on Twitter. Have a great week. And remember, there's always more to uncover behind the story. See you next time.